This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. I am very excited about our guest today because it's really hard not to be excited when you're around her. So too bad for Rachel had to sit out this interview today. But today our guest is Nina Kasuya, and she is a member of Hive and one of my favorite people in the acapella community. No offense to anyone else, but it's really hard to just not smile when you're around. How are you, Nina? (laughs) You know, I'm doing pretty great considering everything that's going on in the world right now. I'm very grateful that I still have the opportunity to make some income and have more time for passion projects (laughs) and cleaning uh, that I haven't been able to do. I know I'm surprisingly (laughs) caught up on laundry. And so all things, right? I had to purchase new storage bins for under my bed because I realized that I just have too much stuff that I haven't dealt with. (laughs) See the laugh. Nina's laugh is my favorite. like to start most of our episodes, we'd love to know how you got into acapella. So I feel like I was a little bit late to acapella compared to a lot of other folks, only because I didn't realize that acapella was a thing that people actually did until um, I believe my third year of college, which is when I transferred to UCLA. And so UCLA has a huge acapella culture. And right before I started at UCLA, I was taking a summer class at SMC. And one of my classmates happened to be a current UCLA student. And, you know, he told me all about these different groups that I have to audition for if I'm a singer and I pulled up a couple videos and I was like I don't know I don't know it's a very competitive choreography based thing and then I got to UCLA and I realized that the culture was so much deeper than that and there's an actual acapella culture which is interesting and I ended up joining Medley's Acapella which was a community service based group they were actually named the Medley's because it was started by medical students who were looking for like a musical outlet to be able to I think kind of fulfill other parts of their love and passion outside of their their medical studies. I was very much not a medical student, (laughs) but... That became my acapella family for the three years that I was singing with them at UCLA. And I didn't know that acapella would be part of my life after. I thought maybe, you know, it would be a chapter of my young adulthood and, you know, like look at these great friendships and these lifelong connections that I've made. And then I was introduced to Rob Dietz, who I know everybody <laughs> If you knows. don't go look him up, Rob is great. <laughs> Rob is awesome. And Rob actually introduced me to Lisa and Maria, And that's kind of how that connection happened and how I got back into this acapella space through Hive and meeting Lisa and Maria and Christina and at the time Courtney Jensen. And ever since then, I feel like I've realized that Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of a home for me here. Good. I want you to stay forever. (laughs) Don't ever leave me. (laughs) So moving into Hive, if you don't know who Hive is, it's right now you all are a quartet with sometimes a guest artist. Tell us a little bit about the group. I know we talked to Lisa several episodes back, but tell us your perspective on what Hive is. Hive almost feels like, and I don't know if this sounds a little too woo-woo for some people, but it almost feels like something that was manifested as larger than the people who are are in the group. When I was first introduced to Lisa and Maria through this project, it was because they had put together, like through their own time in their hearts, put together this giant document, if you will, manifesto, that kind of laid out what their vision was for the group. And it was a it was a vision that was so much larger than the sum of its parts. And it was something that was deeply motivated by love and compassion and creating space for people that was necessary, not only for the people in the group, but for the people that we'd be able to connect with. 
And so for me, that just felt like such a perfect continuation of like kind of how I got into acapella and where I was going with it because the motto of medleys was love for people, love for music. And we always talked about the fact that people comes first. And so it felt like a really right time, right space, right environment for me to be a part of. And I was really excited to be working with these people who I had heard about, I had known about, but I'd never actually gotten to work with before. And so that's been a really incredible journey to be able to share space with who I consider to be folks who are relatively successful is not the word. I think like deeply involved and deeply passionate about the work that they're doing with young singers. Yeah, just being able to share space with folks like that and learn from them has been a really incredible experience. I feel like my story is getting (laughs) a little distracted, but... But yeah, Hive has been a very, one of the most like comforting spaces to be able to make mistakes and also grow from them musically and otherwise, I think. And some of the opportunities that we have been afforded just in working with other students and working with high schoolers all across the country has been so impactful for me. And yeah, not it, it feels like something that's so much more than just music, so much more than just the people who are there, but something that really has a greater vision for, for what we could do as artists to create space for other people in the world. And I think that shows in everything that you all do. I know you have a very specific group of people and all of you are kind of known for being that type of person that creates an environment like that. For other groups that want to create an environment like that, what do you think it is about Hive that makes it that way? I think it's a few different things for sure. And I think that every combination of people requires different things. But I think part of it is being willing to really be vulnerable and state what your wants and your needs are and also be able to learn when you mess up and be able to talk about all of those things. Like I think discussion is such a huge part of growth. And I also think that there's something that feels very natural when you're working with people who are approaching music in a similar way that you are. And I think that finding those people that you feel that comfort with and that you feel that trust with is also very important. And yeah, I think within our like hive space we've had to have a lot of difficult conversations which for me have felt like even in the moment when it was the hardest thing in the world (laughs) it's afforded me an opportunity to reflect and grow and so I think you know not only doing the work as a group but continuing to do the individual work and never feeling like you know what I actually know everything so I am now the genius in charge (laughs) and I will tell you you know like never feeling like you're getting to that point I think is important (laughs) yeah because you know once you're perfect like you're done growing and what's the point Mm -hmm. right (laughs) but also you all are a long distance group so Mm -hmm. how do you continue to foster that I know more and more people are looking at long distance groups but also now every group is kind of becoming a long distance group, at least temporarily. How do you guys continue to foster that environment without being with each other? I think for Hive, one of the most important platforms, as silly and light as this feels, is Voxer. Voxer is like a walkie-talkie type app where you just kind of talk messages back to each other, similar to Marco Polo, except like less video focused. But that has given us a space to just, you know, throw out random things. Middle of the day, hey friends, how's it going? You know, keeps conversation very light and verbal, you know what I mean? Instead of just text which has been really nice. And I think also we intentionally, this group, not we as in myself, because 
I did not manifest it. But Lisa and Maria intentionally created this group knowing that it may be a long distance situation, knowing that for them to find the people who felt the best, it may not be in their town. And so I think that from the beginning, knowing that we were able to make really intentional choices about how much we're communicating, how what is important to communicate in writing versus verbally or casually, what conversations need to happen as a whole group versus between like individual members. And yeah, so I think all of those levels of communication have made it really important. And the other thing for me that has made a really huge impact in, I think, the amount of productivity that we're able to have is that when it comes to music, we're learning our parts individually and coming together to work out the musicality and the presentation of what we're doing with it rather than learning notes together, which I think a lot of groups do and can be very time consuming. And I think puts the focus on some technical things that maybe shouldn't always be the focus when you're trying to create music. Right. So you all have different repertoire than most of the acapella groups that are in the circuit right now. And you also write a lot of originals. How does that process work? You know, it was actually part of the intention of the group when it was created to not be just like a pop cover band. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that, you know, so many acapella groups do like incredible covers to where I don't even remember that the original exists anymore. (laughs) Um. Well done to those groups. I love when that happens. I love it. Or I'll hear the original and be like, wait, I thought this was an acapella song. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, so we started with a shared playlist, actually, when this group first started. And we were kind of just dumping in, oh, these are some songs that might be cool. And that kind of became like our little grab bag to reach into to look for inspiration. So yeah, the thing that's been cool about Hive, though, is that when it comes to writing and arranging, everybody is invited to participate and it's really based on like what you feel inspired to do which is really amazing and I think it's great that then the weight doesn't fall all on one person either because I know I can only imagine how overwhelming that is yeah (laughs) so it's usually the way we do it is we start with a partial whether it be an original or a cover song and We actually ended up using the acapella app a lot to like try things out together when we were not physically together. That's really cool. It's fun. It's really fun. And it's a great way to be like to hear back something that's not just a MIDI. (laughs) MIDIs are a little a little dry. (laughs) They're a little dry and they don't have a lot of emotion in them. (laughs) Someone get on that. Create MIDIs that that do something that goes somewhere. Right. So yeah, working out smaller arrangements um, as partials and then deciding whether or not it feels like a right fit for the group. We've also definitely tried songs that didn't stay in our repertoire because they didn't feel right for our group. But yeah, just it's been really fun to just try things and then decide after it's come out of our mouth whether or not we want to keep it. That's awesome. I mean, to the outside world, Hive definitely appears like a an empowerment project for women. You guys definitely evoke that on stage and when you're performing and when you're just being. I think being around you as a group, that's like the energy that comes out. But it's not all about women for all of you. And you've been a big proponent of getting rid of gender in the nomenclature of acapella, especially the way that we use it now. Where does that come from for you? I think it comes from a few different places. Partially, it's just me digging deeper into understanding the intersectional identities of human beings in general. And as I like became an adult, 
and started experiencing the world as an individual human rather than under the guidance of somebody else, whether it be my parents or school or whatever, I started to realize that the information that had been fed to me about how I understand gender, how I understand sex, how I understand Western study of these things is a little one-sided. And I think the more that I get to speak to people and hear their experiences, it becomes impossible for me not to acknowledge the fact that we have really just accepted the binary for what it is. And I have a problem with that. (laughs) I don't. Partially, it's that I don't like being told to do things or to believe things when I have a question. (laughs) Very true. And I... (laughs) And I think partially it's like, why would it's me acknowledging and understanding the fact that there are other people who are hurting because of this, because of these structures that have been institutionalized. And I have the power as a cis woman of privilege to say something about it and to put myself, whether it be my physical body or my voice on the line to create, you know, some kind of a platform for other people. Because when I think about my approach to whether it be music or Hive or any or my, my teaching and working with my students. At the end of the day, getting rid of that kind of like gendered language is not just about me. It's about creating space for other folks, you know? And how can we say that acapella, as accessible as it is, because, you know, people are so quick to say, you don't need anything but your voice, right? Which is (laughs) partially true. (laughs) As accessible as it feels, in a lot of ways, I think that we have culturally made it inaccessible to people who feel outside of that. And for me, music is like one of the most healing experiences, healing things that I can do. It feels very close to God for me. And the idea that people are being excluded simply because of this structure that we have that was instituted before us doesn't make sense. Right. As people, I think as a community, people are considering this new way of thinking, but it's a little slow on the uptake. I think people are trying to figure it out. What kind of advice would you give to these groups that are really trying to move away from that older structure? I think it's really important, especially like academic or collegiate groups that have really regular turnover because, you know, people graduate and things like that. I think it's really important to have a conversation every year about what you want your group to actually look like and represent. I think sometimes the things that have historically been done in the group are detrimental to the community and the only reason it's continuing to be done is because we're hiding all of the ugliness under this guise of tradition and I think that it requires some difficult conversations around stuff like that. I also think that all of us have been really surprised hearing people open their mouths and getting a sound that you didn't expect and so if what you're looking for is the best singers then look for the best singers not the best female who is this this and this you know like it almost feels limiting to say that I'm looking for one category of human when there are so many variations that could be giving you what it is you're actually looking for. Right. So you've put out some, I've seen some materials come out that encourage groups to go SSAA. If you come from a traditionally female group, a female sound, if you want that sound, not necessarily calling yourself all female, but saying, okay, if you can sing soprano or alto, come on in. Mm -hmm. Is that how you see things working? Absolutely. I think even taking it out of the language of soprano and alto and giving a vocal range, what is the range that you're looking for? What are the skills that you're looking for? What is the timbre that you're looking for if that's what you know what one of your filters is Mm -hmm. and I think just being more specific about that gives more opportunity and also then maybe somebody who looks at that posting or you know in college we used to flyer a lot for (laughs) acapella recruitment (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Maybe somebody will grab that flyer and instead of throwing it away, they'll say, oh, wait, I can sing those notes. Right. You know, I don't identify as an alto, but I can absolutely sing those notes. Right. So, yeah, just you're asking for you're just, you're just being more specific about what you're asking for, I think. Right. And as Hive tours and works with other groups, I know you guys were quite busy in 2019 and hopefully you'll return to being quite busy when we're allowed to be <laughs> again. What kind of reaction have you all had? Because I know you don't particularly say like we are a women power group. You never identify as that. But how has the reaction been to you? Because you are one of the only groups that is primarily female identified in the community that is doing what you do. How has the reaction been when you go out and you present your show and you present your workshops and things like that? Generally speaking, I have had really amazing experiences working in those settings with Hive. Yeah, because... And I don't know if this is just in the nature of the law of attraction or whatever it is, but it does feel like we always end up working with communities that really need to have the conversation with us, whether that be in a city like LA or in a small town in Wisconsin, you know, there's a lot of similarity. And I think what we're all experiencing in terms of feeling confident in yourself. And for me, like being a confident woman isn't about just being a woman. It's also about like understanding what makes me feel confident as a human being outside of gender, just in my own body, in my own existence in this space. And I think that like that is the energy that ends up translating well. Sure. And in those conversations, have things come up that have kind of spurred like, whoa, more people need to talk about this and understand this? Are there topics? Every single conversation. Yeah. Every single conversation brings up so many similar issues, but different issues when it comes to, I don't even know where to begin, literally everything. <laughs> Folks, we're going to be here for like six or seven hours. Just <laughs> hold tight. <laughs> where to begin? Yeah. I don't think that I've ever had a conversation where I was like, wow, we were not needed here. Um, <laughs> because... I think I don't mean to sound too depressing or or heavy, but I think injustice and oppression exists in all spaces, regardless of what that community may look like. And I think that even when we've been in spaces of like all white, all upper middle class students of a similar experience, they're still understanding that there's a lot to unpack. And I also think that in every acapella space that I've ever been in, it's very apparent that there is a majority and a minority when it comes to like racial representation. And that's something that I've, I think in general, we know like acapella world tends to be like a primarily white space. And so I think engaging in these kinds of conversations around whiteness, where the few people of color in those spaces, not not in Hive, but in their own communities feel empowered to speak out and explain to their peers how things are impacting them. Like all of that to me is proof of forward motion. And I think the fact that like we as Hive have the privilege to be able to even facilitate those conversations as you know people who are not necessarily PhDs in these fields or anything like is really important and humanizing because at the end of the day these are not, this is not something that we have to discuss in an academic setting it's something that we have to just discuss as people and use regular words to explain so that there is a more a more generalized understanding that it's not black and white that it's not binary that people can't be fit into these categories and boxes that easily right and as you mentioned the acapella community does tend to be primarily white, primarily privileged, but it's also full of a lot of people that want 
to be doing better. And I think this is a broader conversation now. You know, we're in a time where the video of Ahmad is out and you're hearing this call from white people, liberal people, caring people that want to be doing better. And I think that applies in a lot of spaces. What would you say to those people that just want to be doing better but don't know how? A few things. I think number one is to not put the burden of your understanding and your education on people of color. Um, I think that Google is an amazing resource. (laughs) And I think folks need to start by doing their own homework before making it other people's burden. Because I think a conversation that I've heard a lot from my white peers is like, I'm so sorry for my people. Like, tell me how to be a better white person. (laughs) And I'm like, the question is being misdirected. Like, you need to go talk to your white friends. Yes. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think that's number one, is just educating yourself. And of course, finding people who you feel comfortable turning to who may be be able to provide a different perspective, but making sure that the burden of, of that education is on yourself. I think it's also really important to have candid conversations with young people, uh, regardless of what your relationship is to those young people. Um, I'm very, very blessed to be able to work with middle schoolers. I run a middle school musical theater program. And so, bless you. you know, I have this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> and being able to work with those students, like I know part of it is because I'm not their math teacher. So I get to have a different relationship with them in general. But calling students out in a loving way to un- so that we all as an entire class or group can understand what we can learn from this, I think is really important. And sometimes I know that I think my students get a little exhausted that I interrupt a lot to be like, oh, history lesson, you use this little word. Do you know where that comes from? Do you know what the origin is? Do you know where which culture you're taking that from? Right. Um, <laughs> but it's important. But you know. Yeah, it's really important because right. I hear my son is is fifth grade and by the way, mm-hmm. loves Nina, even though he claims to not remember her every time we <laughs> oh, see we each had other. The best experience. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, but, you know, he's about to go into middle school and I hear him mm-hmm. use words that I think he just hears mm-hmm. and I have to stop him and I'm like, do you understand that that word could make other people feel bad? Do you understand where that word comes from? And I think, yeah, catching them when they're in like it's innocence and just the lack of understanding and then making them understand the context of the words that they're using. I think that is really important. Right. And approaching it from love rather than shame, because I don't think at least for me, when people shame me because I made a mistake, it doesn't make me want to do better. It makes me want to like recoil and never say anything again. And so I think making sure that whoever you're speaking to knows that they're not being silenced, but just being uh, engaged in a conversation and so that there is a common level of understanding is really important. Yeah, absolutely. We are almost out of time. So let, is there anything else that you want to... I know, we could, we could just go on forever. <laughs> just thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this conversation. I think it's a difficult conversation for anybody to have, regardless of where you are positioned in the conversation, you know, in terms of where your privilege lies, where your experience lies and all of that. But I think that as a community and as a people, we can only be stronger and we can only make better choices by having these difficult conversations, courageous conversations, if you will. And yeah, so I just I hope that folks continue to use their words in a way that feels empowering to them so that they can stand up for themselves and stand up for other people. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the work that Hive does. I think it's far more than just entertainment. And I think that was part of your mission to begin with, but I think it's it's become bigger than that. And I got I was lucky enough to get to see you all. I, it's like we were on tour together last year. <laughs> I know we all kept showing up <laughs> at the same events, and yet every time your performance, your presence just 
changed the atmosphere of the room and I in a good way. So I appreciate that you all are still doing that work and hopefully we can find ways to continue that work while we're all apart. <laughs> but Nina, thank you so much for joining us today and good luck with everything and hopefully we'll be back and working together in person soon. Yay! I know, I really hope in person where I can physically give you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss hugs, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Amanda, one of the things that we talked about this time around was sort of the empowerment of women, but not just the empowering of women, but but actually sort of the importance of connecting and lifting other voices. And one of the ways that I feel like people do that is just by having a generally likable and approachable attitude, which helps you to yeah. feel connected to people and want to learn more about them with what, what they're talking about, what they're trying to say. And so I wonder what your thoughts on that are. I think especially uh, specifically with Hive, of whom Nina is part of, they are just genuine people. So when they're on stage, they are being genuinely them and that creates a better connection. But also as a, an event planner, I am more likely to hire a group like that than one that kind of is just putting on a show, if that makes sense. But also because when they get off stage, they are the same people that you see on stage and they're just genuinely likable people. And I think that makes it easier to work with them, that they're more approachable, which is what, you know, festival attendees want. Event attendees want people that are approachable, people that they want to talk to, because that, you know, especially now that we can't be at events together, that's something that I miss, like being there in person and getting to connect with somebody that you are so in awe of their talent, but then you also get to be in awe Absolutely. of them Absolutely. I think person. that that's one thing I've been very impressed by, almost to a person. <laughs> um, the individuals that I've met through the opportunities that I've had to go to the various festivals that I've had to go have gotten to go to and that the people that you think are the most impressive in this at least community have felt to me so open and so willing to talk and share their stories and, sh and just sort of be real genuine people. And I wonder how right. that is that something that's sort of I don't know, endemic to acapella? Is it something like, because often these draw from people who are, who have lots of emotions and they want to share those emotions and that connection is really important. Or if, if I've just right. been lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've certainly had my share of not that many, but people I've met in acapella that aren't that great of people that aren't that open and caring and, you know, that almost stereotypical acapella person. But I have to say, like, even when I meet performers and artists that I've admired, either inside the acapella community or outside, if I meet someone and they're kind of a jerk in person, I all of a sudden like their talent a little bit less or some or am completely turned off by Maybe their work in leaves a bad taste general. in your mouth. The shine is yes, off the yes. rose, that one. Yes. And it's troubling. You come home and you're like, oh, I really liked that person's work, but I don't like that person anymore. And it's really hard for me to want to support their work after knowing that well, they are Well, and the reverse is so person. true. Because when you meet somebody, you're like, oh, they're actually like so kind and so nice. It makes, at least for me, I, I am way more invested, way more want to learn more about them, support them, listen to what they're doing, follow what they're doing, because that connection is so important. Right. So just as a challenge to our listeners, we encourage you, if you are a performer 
remember that your fans want to see the real you. And hopefully the real you is a kind and generous and caring person, we hope. We think most of you are. But also for fans and, and as a fan, support those people that you appreciate for being genuine. And especially right now, if you know that these groups can't perform, they can't make a living, find ways to support them. I think it's so important to encourage people that are hard workers and kind and caring and really genuine to continue in this field. We'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.